0: Ladies and gentlemen, family, and friends from around the country and literally around the world, this is your host, hopefully one of your favorite deplorable brothers, David J. Harris Jr., and I have an amazing show for you all today. Thank you so much for choosing to spend a little bit of your day with me as I break down the truth, the news that's not drenched in liberal bias. It's unadulterated, it's raw, it's real. And it's more important than ever that we all get the truth. Today's broadcast is brought to you by my good friend, Mike Lindell's company, My Pillow. Friends, if you need to sleep well, if you want to feel good while you're sleeping, you've got to try Mike Lindell's pillows or his sheets or his mattress topper. I have all of those. My wife absolutely loves his sheets, as do I. There's nothing I love more than actually feeling comfortable, just that you feel so good and cool while you're sleeping. His new Giza sheets are absolutely amazing. Use the promo code DAVID, that's my name, DAVID, when you make your order at MyPillow.com, and you can save up to 60%. Yes, Mike Lindell gave a special promo code for me, for you, my audience. So you can save up to 60%, need new pillows, need sheets, want to give your mattress a makeover, get that pillow topper, that mattress topper, just use the code David and you'll save up to 60%. So let's get into my show today. This is another episode with my co-host. We are doing each other's podcast today. It is a true honor and privilege to have my good friend, Charlie Kirk on the show with me today and you gotta if you're not already following him and subscribe to his podcast you must do that as well charlie such a pleasure to have you on today with me my brother
1: i'll throw it right back at you david everyone's got to subscribe to the david harris jr show you've been charging those apple charts man that is hard to do so congratulations on that so all my listeners check out david harris jr and you're gonna find out why throughout this conversation
0: Yes, and it's David J. Harris Jr. on your podcast platform. You got to have the J in there. I started out that way and I can't change it. So David J. Harris Jr. is how you find me. So Charlie, our country is literally in chaos right now. We've got Black Lives Matter protesters that are marching all over the country. I just went to one that was literally less than a mile from my house. I wanted to see if it was going to stay peaceful it did, but I was not surprised to find out and, and to, to see after it ended, somebody that looked like Antifa that literally led the, the charge in another direction started taking the crowd in an opposite direction of traffic, and I wasn't sure what was going to happen. He, he led us all down uh, commercial properties, and, and at one point, somebody said, let's go to the freeway, and we're talking about Dallas Tollway in Dallas, uh, just north of Dallas. It would have been absolutely catastrophic. It could have been, definitely dangerous, but- It's so disturbing what we are all witnessing take place in our country right now. And I so appreciate you, my brother. I so appreciate your voice. You shared a message, a video yesterday, breaking down some of the truths and facts about not only black lives, but black lives matter and what's taking place in our country. Give us your overview, if you will, just specifically on what is taking place. How is the wool trying to be pulled over our eyes? And then what can we do about it?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, two things can independently be true. Number one, that the death of George Floyd was a horrendous act and that you should, and anyone who doesn't say that is not being honest to the facts. By the way, David, as a correlator, I haven't found one person who hasn't said that. If you can find that person for me, please find that person because the media said we're divided over this. I don't think we're divided over it. I think we're divided over the fact that Democrats are supporting the arson of American cities. The second thing can also independently be true when you notice, once you say the first thing, which is, this is a statistical anomaly. This is not not something that happens with great deals of occurrence, despite what the media tells you. In fact, if you actually look at the police trends, and you look at police brutality, and you look at the studies that have been done, and people say, well, you can't count the studies. I mean, at some point, you're going to have to accept some form of data. I mean, you can't just have nothing but my truth and first-person testimony. What bothers me the most, David, is that I care deeply about Black America. And I've tried to, in many different ways, impact the conservative movement positively by elevating Black voices throughout the last couple of years. And I have seen amazing people like yourself grow and flourish on digital media, which has been one of the greatest things for myself to see. And I know based on conversations with yourself and Candace Owens and Terrence Williams and all these amazing patriots that if the police withdraw from these communities, which will happen as a result of this misinformation and propaganda machine of the media, then more black people are going to die. And so people are accusing me of the worst possible things you can imagine. But my motives are actually, I want black communities to be safe. I want law and order in our urban communities. So that's, that's my motivation behind doing these videos that have it been incredibly viral, but I never would have thought they would be David because I was just talking about pretty widely accepted statistics and facts. And so I'm really upset because more black people are going to die. In fact, thousands of more black people are going to die by other black people, not by police officers, by the way, by Hispanic gang violence and by urban city or urban area type, you know, death because of the protests that are happening because police officers are going to say, if we're not welcome here. We're not going to go to a place where we're going to be killed. And the final thing I'll say is this. Twice as many black cops have died in the last two weeks than unarmed black men by cops. Wow. Twice as many. This is an injustice and this is evil. But Black Lives Matter conveniently ignores that.
0: It is unjust. It's evil. I really personally believe as a Christian, I know you are as well. I personally believe that this is a spiritual battle that we're in. It is, it is good against evil. And what's so sad to see, and I posted earlier on Instagram, there's been, I believe, six black individuals that have lost their lives just during these riots. Where's Black Lives Matter at? Where, where are the protests against the rioters? You know, what I'd love to see are those people that are actually peacefully protesting and do want to see justice. I'd love to see them stand up against those that are actually rioting and causing the, the mayhem, destruction, and murder of other innocent Americans. It's an absolute disgrace for anybody, especially the black community, to try to champion the, the murder of George Floyd by, by even standing by idly and not doing or saying anything when they see individuals that are not a part of their mission and their movement wreaking havoc and destruction on businesses and, and people's lives. I mean, it was so heartbreaking to see yeah. David Dorn- that retired chief of police, laying there uh, in blood and over a television, over a freaking television. It's like, what have we really come to in this country where individuals feel like it's okay to riot, to loot, because there's chaos going on? Where, where, are, the, where are the champions that are going to stand up and speak out and let that catch like wildfire throughout this country. I mean, there's, there's are doing that, but I know we need to see a a hell of a lot more of them.
1: Well, and, you know, Barack Obama, who's an awful leader, he he says he's going to, you know, he's going to address the nation. He's going to try to comment on this. His previous comments were this. We can't allow this to become normal because it's becoming normalized. It's happening all the time. Well, no, it's not. It's not. In fact, last year in a country of 330 million people, there was not even one per month, one black person per month killed unarmed by a police officer. And even the definition of unarmed, David, if you go into the Washington Post definition of it, you and I would say, I don't know. I mean, they were grabbing for the police officer's weapon. They were charging right. the police. Right. Now I'm not justifying what happened. That's not what I'm saying. But if we have nothing but emotive pathological arguments and we dismiss all data and all statistics, kind of like we, what we did with the lockdowns, and I want to talk about in a second because I think they're actual, these are all really related with each other. But yeah. all of a sudden, we're going to make really, really bad decisions. And so it's one thing to have a very appropriate emotive response. Because I did. When I saw that cop put his neck, put the knee on the neck of George Floyd, I said, this is a disgusting person who needs to be held accountable. Yes. So I had that emotive response. But then I also, I think, have the restraint to say, I'm not going to misapply that singular incident to every single law enforcement officer across the country. It's called maturity, by the way. That's right. called the ability to be rational and make good public policy decisions. And so during the lockdown, I think we need to talk about this more, David, is we locked up, particularly in urban areas, men and women, but men in general are doing the and We know that men in general, the ones being arrested, we know that like 80% of the arrests are men. And so yeah. you have men that are filled up with record levels of testosterone. They can't go to the gym. They can't go to the church. They can't get counseling. They can't go to sporting events for 10 weeks.
0: And temperatures are, And you know where they can go, the weed dispensaries were open and the alcohol, the liquor stores were open.
1: Which causes people to be more violent. Not not everyone who does alcoholism will, and alcohol will be more violent, but that's statistically shown that if you yeah. – you use alcohol, you have a pr- pr- predisposition to being more violent in that incident. And so you combine all these things together. They created a powder keg. They created a perfect yep. storm for something like this to happen. Now, do I think that was planned? I'm not going that far. I'm not. But I am. I think it's really important because bad information and rush to judgment and hysteria got us into the lockdown which then contributed to the rioting and the looting. And so I'm looking at some of this policy proposals, and I think it's really important to say, okay, what is your specific policy prescription to solve what you think the problem of police brutality is? Black Lives Matter says it on their website, David. Defund the police. Endorsed yes. by Rashida Tlaib. That is their position. I think that's an awful position. That's I actually... Absolutely. So, and I, I mean, I, I, I don't think any sort of system is immune to reform. And then people are accusing me, well, Charlie, you think that the system is perfect. Well, no, I, first of all, I'm saying... You can say sets of data without having to say you're defending an entire system. I mean, the, the the laziness and the sloppiness of people's minds is incredible to me. So I say, here's actually how it is. It's not as bad as you think, but I'm a huge fan of body cams. I'm a huge fan of police officers being monetarily rewarded for peaceful de-escalation. I'm a huge yes. fan of more black people becoming police officers in the neighborhoods that they patrol. I mean, I'm not, I'm not against having some sort of reform conversations. What I am against is where I know this is headed, which is a broad, massive indictment of all police officers and then more black people will die. It's called the Ferguson Ferguson effect. After Ferguson, police department said, we're done. We're done. We're out. We're not welcome. You guys don't want us here. You told us to leave and we will. Black deaths went up in every single city where that happened, David. And that's not good for anybody.
0: No, it's not. And so many people are being led like sheep and don't even understand what they're, what they're doing, this whole blackout Tuesday that we just had. I was shocked, Charlie. I was shocked at some of the individuals, some of my Christian friends, some of my pastor friends that went along with it, that posted a black screenshot and hashtagged Black Lives Matter. These are pastors that I respect. These are individuals that I believe have spiritual discernment, that I believe it, and I know they're good-hearted well-meaning people that think that they're helping, but they're not. They're buying into, really, they're buying into a racist rhetoric. This one really, this one really set me aside. It's a black individual. I won't say his name. He's very connected in the music scene, in, in the gospel music scene, in the Christian conservative music scene with Hillsong, with Bethel. He's very connected. I could tell when I met him, he knew where I stood politically. He knew I supported the president, and he was a little standoffish. He made a post where he said, "He said, I'm actually going to read it. I won't say his name, but I'm actually going to read it because it baffled yeah, me to no end that he felt like this was something that was necessary for us to even think is possible." He said, "This since the music industry started Blackout Tuesday, here are some solutions." We would love to see starting tomorrow. Again, this is coming from a black individual. K-Love, Way, Way FM, and other Christian radio stations will begin to play black artists outside of their normal format. If you need suggestions, and he gave some. This would be great. Hillsong, Bethel, Evelation Worship will begin to contact some amazing black writers for collaboration. For collaborations, if you need suggestions, and then he gave some. Booking and touring entities will start booking diverse music tours. Here are some suggestions, and he gave some. Churches that are predominantly white will begin to diversify their worship team and staff. If you need guests to fill slots, inbox me. I read that, Charlie, and I said, so what he's talking about is forced integration. What he's saying is something that is, oh, for anybody now in this Christian space, we need to force people to make room. We don't have we can't have the genres that we like. You know, we we create playlists of what we like and what we want to listen to. Does that mean that everybody that's got a playlist that that, that likes Caleb radio is now racist? It's it's feeding into and buying into what I believe is the hate and the evil. That is the same exact evil that perpetrated the murder of George Floyd, except now it's coming through spiritual, so so to speak. I think it's religious spirits, well, individuals, even in the church. It baffles me.
1: Yeah. And you and I are both part of the great project at Liberty University, the Falkirk Center for Faith and yes. Liberty. I'm sporting my Liberty swag now. And we believe in Imago Dei, that we're all made in the image of God, that actually race is somewhat immaterial to God. And I just had a great conversation with Dr. Carson, and he said it so well. He said, when I'm operating on an individual for brain surgery, I can't tell what race they are. I just see a brain. It's like, that's yeah. what matters is your brain, is your character, is your soul, is your spirit. That's the Christian ethic. And so the hyper-racialization of the churches in the last couple of days has been unbelievable to me, David. In fact, yeah. I'm not gonna say any names similar to you and it's just not worth it. But there were certain pastors that were liking my post. I didn't ask them to like my stuff, by the way. They liked yeah. my stuff and then they, their congregation finds out And then they are forced to say awful things about me saying on stage saying, Oh no, no, no. I actually don't like him very much. And I've met these people and they're throwing me under the bus. Does it bother me? I mean, it doesn't bother me to the extent that I'm going to let it derail my day, but I'm like, where is your courage, man? Like I'm a Christian too. You know, my heart. I mean, we host the black leadership summit at turning point USA. Like I'm, you you, you're pandering to this is unbelievable. And so, and then also what you were describing here, David, and I wasn't, fully aware that i saw the post but it sounds like affirmative action for music right i mean what has made what has made and this is a really important conversation is why black comedians and why black artists have traditionally been better is because they felt they had to fight the system and they were amazingly creative and actually white people were the biggest consumers of black music and black comedy even more so than the black community was yes And that's a compliment. to. And there wasn't any affirmative action nonsense that made Kanye West the number one rapper on the planet. There wasn't affirmative action that made Chris Rock the most listened to special on Netflix. Uh, It was because they were funny. It was a pure meritocracy, right? And I mean, you can say this better than I can, but I think it's awfully self-defeating to advocate for that, isn't it?
0: Absolutely. I absolutely believe that it is. And here's the other thing that hit me. I literally, I woke up at about 3.30 this morning praying about this because I saw that post last night and it so bothered me in my spirit that I just, I went to bed praying. I woke up at about 3.30 and I really felt like God gave me a word for it. And he said, we are in the middle of an identity crisis in our country. And the church is in the middle of an identity crisis. He said, for anybody, this is what I felt he said to me, for anybody that has an issue with the color of their skin, or the color of somebody else's skin, they don't actually have an issue with that individual. They have an issue with God, because God is the one that gave all of us our pigment, gave us our nose, gave us our eyes, and placed us where we were born, gave us the parents that we have. It's him that's responsible for who we are. And when we look at another individual, and we want to either shame them or feel shame for ourselves, we're literally shaming the creator of the universe. And he said to me, we all need to repent. On the on for the sins of my brothers and sisters on both sides, right? My mom's white, my dad's black. I've got a lineage of both worlds, of both individual, of both cultures and nationalities inside of me. I embody them. Although no, nobody's ever looked at me and said, "There's a white guy." I've dealt with racism from both sides, from the black side that were dark like my dad. That oh, you're not you're not as dark as me. And then from the white side. So, but it's an identity crisis that we're in, and to see this actually coming up from the church there's a there's a sweeping no. wave of i believe repentance that needs to take place in our country for god to truly cleanse us from this evil that we've allowed ourselves to succumb to and then there's things in the natural that it, you know it's like we're seeing thousands of young people in cities all over the country how in the world are there this many thousands of young people in all these random in all these cities simultaneously that are going along with this. And I brought it up in my, uh, my podcast yesterday. The schools are complicit. Yeah. The universities are complicit. They've been breeding out propaganda material. They've been ingraining it into our kids, into our students. And that's got to be the reason why so many young Americans hate America, hate capitalism. And that's that's communism. That's Marxism. They're going to hate God as well.
1: Yeah. Well, David, first of all, I want to compliment you. What you just said right there was very touching and moving. It's one of the best descriptions I've heard. And I really hope that people re- re-listen to that because that was terrific. So compliments to you. It was really well done. And so this was a this was many inputs into this equation where we are right now. Number one, you have a generation, and, most, and let's just be honest with this, Most of the black people are not the ones burning down these cities. It's not right. I mean, these, these are people I grew up with and that's why I made that video and not all of them, but upper middle class suburban individuals. And we look at the arrest records. Most of these people are from the suburbs. It's because they've had no right of passage. They were educated in schools that taught them to bitterly hate our country. They went to universities taught by professors that also simultaneously hated America. And so you saw the two individuals. I want you to imagine this, David. What would it get for you in life? I mean, you talk about your testimony. It's amazing. But were you ever at a place where you're going to throw a Molotov cocktail at a police officer? I don't know. I mean, that's a pretty dark place to get to. Two it's a people very dark in, place. Two people in New York City that were arrested with Molotov cocktails are lawyers, David. They passed the bar. Wow. They're graduates of NYU and Princeton and Fordham. I mean, these are like what would it, what would make you take a Molotov cocktail and throw it at a police officer if you are a bard certified lawyer on your way to making half a million dollars a year in ten years or less? Only the radicalism that is within our schools could teach you and could instruct you to do something like that. Then you couple it with the lockdowns, and then what you also see here, David, which is so important, and you know this because you fight against it every single day, and you were outraged when. George Floyd was killed. Rightfully so. Yeah. And, and I was there with you. And again, you can have outrage independence of burning down your civilization. It's, it's as if those two things must be intellectually or culturally permissible. It's so amazing to me. But we talk about, we now have a decades-long cycle of confirmation bias. When I was in high school, it was the beginning stages. I went to a multiracial high school. It was English as a second language, predominant high school with blacks and Hispanics. And I'll be honest with you, we didn't actually even think of each other in different races. We didn't. Mm. It was the most, it was like this weird post-racial moment in America I grew up in, where we actually didn't care that much about this stuff. I know that, and you probably grew up in that America too, right, David, where you had friends and it's just- I felt like I did.
0: Yeah, I felt like I did, but I grew up in a predominantly white area in Northern California. So that's why I was saying I did get, initially, I'd get a lot of hate from the Black individuals there. And then the other half of the black folks in that town were my family. It was very interesting and confusing Bifurcated. growing up. I had a major identity problem and self worth problem growing up. Uh, but continue.
1: Well, yeah. And what I was saying, and obviously every example is different, but for mine, it was, and, and I don't want to necessarily speak for every single person who went to my high school, but it wasn't this hyper fixation on race. Let me put it that right. way. And some of my best friends growing up were, were friends of my football team and basketball team that were black and that were Hispanic and that were multiracial and that were, and and I treasure those relationships. And so what was so amazing to me though is now looking back at it especially right out of high school was the social media propaganda of telling individuals that you have white privilege and kind of creating this drumbeat for a decade long saying that the police are racist with no yeah. data to support it then you have one videotaped incident that all of a sudden literally confirms all that confirmation bias you've been told for the right. last decade and you say oh i knew it i've been told this my whole life and like well no, that does not support it. I mean, this is not a widespread crisis. What is a widespread crisis is is black on black crime, is black fathers not being in the home, is allowing drug dealers to roam free. I mean, the, the scourge of outdoor drug dealing should be rooted out in our inner cities. And we, we have more attention towards the police officers and the ATF agents than the cocaine dealer on the side of the street. And, and I, David, I, 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 I could be somewhat, you know, misguided in this, but I would imagine that most black Americans actually want law and order. They don't want this kind of anarchy.
0: Absolutely. The the whole stitch, the whole snitches get stitches, the whole, you know, black veil, where if there's crime or murder, that goes on inside the inner cities of black communities and yet they won't tell because the drug dealers, the pimps, those individuals that are ruling inner cities will find out and will tell it is what has created this absolute catastrophe where over 90 percent of young black men are killed at the hands of other young black men and there's nothing changing black lives matter isn't going into these cities and holding marches and protests they ignore it the mainstream yeah. media ignores it nobody wants to talk about it because it's not fitting their their narrative it's disturbing to me and then add add to that that democrats are pushing for female health as birth control as a female health option and that's wiped out the, another half of the black com- community in our country. It's been a genocide against the black community in our country. And there's only one party right now. And I believe it's a new Republican Party that we're seeing underneath this current administration. It's absolutely a revolutionary new Republican Party, more back to its original state of being the, the fighters for freedom, the fighters for civil rights and justice, the anti-slavery party. If anything, I believe Donald Trump has brought the origins of the Republican Party back to where it was. Where it wasn't started and should be, and meanwhile, what, what are we getting from Democrats? Nothing but pandering to this divisive, division and racist narrative that cops are bad, that abortion is is a woman's right to choose, and that we need to abolish the police. It's just it's it's just disgusting to me that we're here, but yet oh, yeah. we're here, and yet I well, still do, also- I still have hope, and I believe that that we will win. I believe that God is doing things behind the scenes right now more than people understand. You know, he doesn't need the mainstream media. God doesn't need the mainstream media. He will move on the hearts and minds of individuals and he will call and tug on hearts to get people to wake up to share messages like this where people take more accountability for their own spiritual walk and say and say God, whatever you have for my life, here I am. Here I am. Send me. Use me. And I truly believe that when individuals get to that place where they say, use me, God, for whatever you have for, for this moment in time right now, use me. You're not worried about anybody else's race. You're not worried about who has more, who has less. You're not worried about what you maybe missed out on or what you maybe didn't get. You're not worried about that because you truly believe that you're in God's hands, you're in his will, and he will light your path. He will elevate your steps. He will take care of you, and he will use you to bring about true Impact in this current generation, that's what I hope and pray and know and believe is taking place behind the scenes right now, while in the mainstream media, all we see is absolute chaos.
1: Amen. That is so incredibly said. And a lot of these protesters and rioters, and I don't want to equival, you know, give an equivalent between protesters and rioters, they don't believe in God. So instead, they're going around on pseudo police patrols asking white people to kneel because they are white. I mean, that it's pure evil. What, where does this, what does this lead to next, David? I mean, I mean, this is really, I mean, for people that don't know that are listening to this, there are black lives matter groups going around finding random white people that are walking on the street, asking them to kneel now, not kneel for Jesus Christ, not kneel to God, but kneel because of past oppression. And this is a bigger issue that we need to talk about here, David, which is the lie of white privilege and the lie behind it. And now there is wealth privilege in America. If you are wealthier, you have access to capital, of course you have privilege. It would be foolish to think otherwise. But inherently believing that the color of your skin gives you these incredible institutional benefits. First of all, it's it's divisive and it's immoral. And it's not statistically true. It just is not true. And the, the extrapolation of it, I mean, have we learned nothing from the 20th century of what happens when you try to indict an entire group of people based on their skin color? I mean, I mean, the entire 20th century should be a how to manual of of one takeaway from the 20th century would be like, don't do that. Right. Don't say white X, Y, Z. Don't say Jewish X, Y, Z. Don't say black. That's a really bad thing to do. And yet as a way. And here's they, they say, well, Charlie, you come from people that did the worst things. Well, first of all, if you actually learn my lineage, my family fought in the civil war on the union side. My family were Republicans in the 1920s and the 1960s fighting for black liberation. My white family. So you're wrong with that. Okay. So let's just get that out of the way. Secondly, why am I responsible even if I had bad ancestors for what people before me did? Like I can't control that. What makes the West different, David, and what makes the Judeo-Christian ethic different is you're going to be held responsible for what you do, your salvation through Christ, not some sort of karmic debt that exists in your bloodline not some sort of blood guilt. It, this is so feudal, is what it is. The feudal system where it's, oh, you made a mistake. Your family's going to be banished to this island for the next six generations. What is this, Game of Thrones? I mean, yeah. it's, it's so dangerous.
0: Well, and, and, and we should all be taking notice of what's transpired in South Africa over the last several years where the genocide now, the torture, the rape, the mutilation is taking place at the hands of the Blacks that were oppressed. Now that were that were now they're the ones that are dishing it out to the whites for no reason, whether they had anything to do with it or not. You know, maybe you can expound on that even more. I know that I've shared a lot of articles on it. Uh, it's absolutely an atrocity that's happening over there, and and I know I'd seen lots of messages, yeah, and emails from individuals saying how can we how can we get out of this situation? We need help from this situation.
1: Could that happen here in America? It seems like it's already happening here in America. Yeah, I I hope not. I mean, South Africa is awful what's happening where, I mean, apartheid was unspeakable and it was evil and it's not anything anyone would defend. But because post-apartheid, there has been a movement in South Africa to be able to repatriate or to have reparations or have redistribution of land owned by white people right to black people where basically they can come and take theirs. And in certain provinces in South Africa, it's being allowed to happen without anyone, any police force or any government authority get in the way. Do I think that'll happen here? Well, we have something called private property law. If, we get out, if, we, if they get rid of private property law here in this country, get out. Because that's the foundation of Western society. That is yes. the foundation of America. Because remember, in the original draft of the Declaration of Independence, you know Thomas Jefferson, inspired by John Locke, said life, liberty, and private property. They changed it to pursuit of happiness. I'm glad they did because it could have been misconstrued as slavery and all that. However, it's important to know they weren't talking about slavery. They were talking about the idea of you can own your consciousness, you can own your ideas, that you as a human being should be able to keep what you earn. Like this is a pretty basic idea that all of us accept as a good value in America, no more. And so, for example, this, I mean, the, the Black Entertainment Television founder comes out and he says, we need a $14 trillion reparations package, $327,000 or something to every single black descendant. I have two thoughts on this. Number one, how's it gonna work for you, David? You're half black, half white. Exactly. You're gonna pay yourself? Are you half oppressed? Right. (laughs) Are you you gonna redistribute your own checking account? Are you half privileged, half oppressed, somewhere in the middle? Number two, I think it's incredible to me. If anyone supports this, then there's no way you could oppose voter ID because if black people can get together their paperwork to prove their descendants of slaves nine generations ago, you can show an ID to vote. Okay. Right. I mean, I say that half kiddingly. I just think that this whole idea that people say, well, black people can't get an ID. Well, first of all, you're unbelievably racist to say that. Absolutely. The only reason you don't want voter ID is because you want the voter fraud. I know that's a bifurcation of it. But David, can you talk about reparations? Because I, I want my audience too, to just understand from a black person's perspective why reparations and white guilt and all this stuff is such nonsense. <laughs>
0: Well, I think that it's nonsense because for me and myself, I didn't live underneath slavery. My parents didn't live underneath slavery. My grandparents didn't live underneath slavery and so on. I don't hold anybody responsible that's lived in the past several generations for what my ancestors went through. And and for somebody to just be born with white skin in today's day and age and have this feeling of white guilt because, and most people probably don't even know if they're descendants from slave owners or not, but even if they were, you're not responsible for the sins of your your ancestors you're not responsible for that to try to suggest and say that you should be held responsible and you should feel shame and guilt over the color of your skin is ludicrous. It's ridiculous. And those pushing for ra- for reparations are racists. That's exactly what they're doing. They're being racist. They're trying to hold something over you that you shouldn't have to carry, that you shouldn't have to bear and trying to make you feel guilty for it. It's manipulation, it's domination and control. And the group that I talk about in my book, Why I Couldn't Stay Silent, that that was their MO. Manipulate, dominate, and control by any means necessary was the KKK, the militia arm of the Democrat Party. And that's yeah. exactly the same mindset and heartbeat behind anybody that's pushing for reparations, which includes Black Lives Matter.
1: Well, look, Democrats think they can control black people because they used to own black people. Yes. I mean, it is a direct lineage in the Democrat Party. I mean, people need to realize their history. I mean, Republicans freed the slaves. Republicans started yes. as a party of anti-slavery. And I, I'll be honest, David, I think that the Republican Party lost their way a little bit, maybe post Reagan. And we got away from this sort of I liberation of the disadvantaged. And Donald Trump has brought it back. But yes. let's get the, back to the roots. I mean, the, the, the most important people in the history of the Republican Party, when it comes to black issues, and you can you can make this argument time and time again, is Abraham Lincoln, number one, of course, absolutely, who made it very clear that black people have value, that slaves should be freed. And I mean, you had complete and total slavery abolitionists like Thaddeus Stevens that were campaigning for this for decades. And Abraham Lincoln was yeah. trying to teeter in the middle. And Abraham Lincoln, what was the book he read every night before he went to bed? The Bible. Yes. The Bible built Western society and liberated us from the scourge of racism. Now, people say, well, our country was founded on racist roots. I think that's a lazy, sloppy interpretation where there certain individuals that owned slaves that at the time didn't even view this as anything that, that not but normal that founded America, absolutely. But the values in the constitution, you know, it's so amazing, David, is that first paragraph of the constitution, despite all the changes, that's never changed. So yeah. instead of saying that we've had to change where we came from, we've now affirmed the, the original vision. We've almost metastasized where the founders originally wanted us to get to. It took blood, it took struggle, it took protest, it took a lot of strife, but that vision has finally was finally fulfilled. Post Martin Luther King, when we were getting there, and then all of a sudden, Lyndon Baines Johnson, the Great Society program goes forward. But you look at Eisenhower. Dwight D. Eisenhower was a committed civil rights leader, Republican, up against racist Southern Democrats. Richard Nixon, exactly the same. Richard Nixon fought for the desegregation of the armed forces. Richard Nixon fought for voting rights. When he was running for president against John Fitzgerald Kennedy in 1960, Richard Nixon was the voice of black America. People forget this, that Richard Nixon ran for president in 1960 against JFK, and JFK was the one pandering to Southern Democrats. Do you know how he pandered to them? By choosing oh. Lyndon Baines Johnson as his vice president.
0: Wow, that's right. He, yeah, cho- yeah. Yep, he chose absolutely.
1: LBJ as the southern bitter racist Democrat, the governor of Texas. He said, I'm really struggling as a Catholic from the Northeast to communicate racist values to the South, can you help me? And LBJ wow. said, don't worry, my boy, I got this for you. And he caravaned around the south, the southern part of the United States on Confederate imagery, on KKK pandering, pandering, on talking about segregation, segregation now, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. These are words that were uttered By Lyndon Baines Johnson. Now, people say, well, LBJ signed a civil rights bill, not because he wanted to, because there was such unbelievable pressure. But you know what he did? He did a bait and switch. Lyndon Baines Johnson, one of the most sinister, awful presidents in American history, saw the pressure coming. He saw the fact that Martin Luther King was gaining the traction, said, I'm not going to stop this. I'm going to do a bait and switch on blacks. He said, I'll sign your civil rights bill if I get an anti-poverty program. And as he did that, he said, "I'll I'll compromise. I'll sign it so that black people can vote but I'm going to have them voting Democrat for a lifetime because I'm going to addict them to government benefits. I'm going to break up their family and I'm going to control them through narratives that are not true. Know the history. It's so important
0: it's so important. The other thing that LBJ did was make it so that the blacks that would that were that had some of the jobs in the cities couldn't actually live there. They had to go back across the bridge, live outside of the city, but oh, we're going to let you work here. So that whole that whole switch, the thing that really bothers me as well, that so many unfortunately, there's a lot of smart people that are really ignorant. It's really baffles me. There's a re- there's a lot of intelligent people that believe that somehow the party for civil rights the party against Jim Crow, the party for equality, the Republican Party that was established as the anti-slavery party. There's smart people out there that are ignorant and think that somehow all of a sudden, all of those individuals fighting for civil rights and fighting for the rights of black Americans became racist while at the same time. At the same time, the party of segregation, the party of Jim Crow, the party that founded the KKK, the party that voted against civil rights for black Americans, all of a sudden became the party for civil rights and for black Americans. It's like, how in the world have so many people bought into that absolute fabricated lie that
1: doesn't even make any sense? Well, and the reason this happened, David, is Republicans fell asleep at the wheel, admittedly, for a couple of years, and we enjoyed our landslide elections given to us by Ronald Reagan in 1884. We, we did not do a good job of communicating to black America when black America was failing under anti-poverty programs. And I'm saying this as a conservative. So no. there, look, I believe white privilege is a racist lie. However, I do believe that blacks have been exploited by the Democrat Party. And uh, unfortunately, David, a lot of the black exploitation has happened by a lot of other black Democrats like Al Sharpton, Jesse Jackson, and Barack Obama, and Eric Holder, and Loretta Lynch, and Lori Lightfoot. And Maxine yep. Waters, I mean, so it hasn't always been white people that have been putting these policies forward of black America in the modern era. Have there been plenty of them? Yeah, there have been. I mean, Bill Clinton with the Clinton crime bill, Joe Biden, who authored the crime bill in the Senate. I mean, that would be a good place to start. But here's, yeah. the, here's the important part is that people say that there was a great switch. That is not correct at all. The most generous thing I could possibly say, the most generous thing I could possibly say to even talk about that is that democrats hide their racism today better than they ever have that's the most generous way i could say it that they hide their racism and they project their racism on the other side they're just as bitterly racist as they were decades ago now i'm not going to go as far to say that every democrat is as racist today as they were in the 60s i'm not going to say that but a lot of the leaders are joe biden is an unbelievable racist what he said if i said that david if i said what joe biden said with the accent and the word that he said i would be deplatformed. I would not be allowed on cable television. If I said, you know, if you don't vote for Donald Trump, you ain't black. Could you imagine if I said something as it's so racist and racist as that?
0: Oh, and, and here's the thing to me too. It showed the way that he said it, the amount of comfort comfortability yes. of which he said it. And then he leaned back and grinned as if he had just scored a touchdown. If you don't know who to vote for me or Trump, you ain't black. And then sits back and, and smirks. To me, that's the old style ingrained racism coming
1: out of that man. Yeah. And not to mention, he called he said, you cannot walk into a 7-Eleven without a slight Indian accent. He said yeah. that black people were super predators in the 1990s. He defended busing and segregation, which was the highlight of Senator Harris's campaign when she dared cross examine that. And then everything went downhill from there. He was friends yep. with Robert Byrd, the bitter segregationist. Now, I don't yep. know Joe Biden's heart. I just know his words and I know his policy prescriptions. I know every single policy, every single policy, David, that Joe Biden advocates for. Top to bottom will make black America worse. We'll make black America more dangerous. Whether it more has. abortion clinics. Yeah. More abortion clinics, stricter gun laws less opportunity, empowering public sector teachers. So people say, well, Charlie, what would you what would you do for black America? Well, I'm glad you asked. And David, you can piggyback off this. Number one, I would declare full out scorched earth war on the public sector teacher unions. It is Absolutely. a civil injustice that black kids cannot read. If you cannot read, you cannot function in civil society. I'm a That's conservative, right. but I believe that being able to read words is a civil right. I Absolutely. do. I believe that is a civil right for you to be able to read the great books, to read the Bible, to be able to interpret different opinions public sector teacher unions run by Democrats and the Democrat cartel have prevented this from happening over the last couple decades. They allow bad teachers to stay in place. They do not pay good teachers enough. They staff these inner city schools with teachers that are not committed to excellence. And then you have this cycle that continues. Number two, get black fathers in the home. I don't know yes. how you do that. You can comment on that. There's different policy ideas. Maybe maybe it's literally subsidizing it. I, I hesitate to say that because Thomas Sowell is teaching us that you subsidize something, you sometimes get something you don't want, but you have to yeah. get black fathers in the home. I think we have to have a moonshot. In fact, I think that we have to say we have a goal in the next 10 years to get black fatherlessness down by 20%. We should track it every Absolutely. month. Are we on track? The government should do this. This is a good, you know why? because it is a human rights crisis what's happening in our inner cities and they're protesting the police. No, it's the fact that fa- the kids don't have father figures and you know what the first father figure they run into every single day? The police or the gang yeah. banger down the street. So that's, right. that's their idea of a strong man. So David, I'd love your ideas of solutions for the black community.
0: I think the solution for fatherlessness in the home is gonna to have to come through the church. You know, I don't know that the government can mandate anything that's gonna help people stay together, but I do know that there's an absolute lack of courage and mentorship for black, for black women that are before they get pregnant. I mean, culture has, culture has dominated how the black, the majority of the black community, especially in inner cities, feel, think, and operate. Sex is glorified. Women are objectified. Having multiple women or girlfriends is glorified. Drugs and alcohol. It is a cesspool for the mind. I can't tell you It 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 is baffling to me. There's no other genre of music, no other genre, country, jazz, rock, even rock, you name it, heavy metal. There's no other genre of music that glorifies murdering your own color of people, that glorifies drug that glorifies drug use, drug take, pimping women and sex with as many women as you can. Now, some maybe sex and other stuff, but as far as murdering. And killing your own people, there's no other genre of music that does it, and yet we've allowed, the Black community has allowed, the music industry, the music industry has allowed for songs to talk about Blacks murdering, capping, killing, and seeing other Blacks on the ground, bleeding out or dead. They've allowed that to be glorified, and the church, I don't think, has made a big enough deal about it. The music industry has allowed
1: And 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 now we've got a
0: generation that is completely lost and void of what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, to respect yourself, to not sleep with just anybody, to actually feel confident that God created you special and beautiful and created somebody for you to be your mate, for a man to actually know what it means to be a, a man, to be responsible, to find a job, to work hard. Nobody gave me anything. I've worked hard from day one with my very first job, which was Taco Bell. I worked hard at Taco Bell. I did my job. And then I continued to elevate as, as what seems to happen when you work at one job and you work hard and you're diligent. It seems that, hey, now you've got a track record and you continue to move on to your next job and your next job. Then I opened up a business. Then I was doing $2 million a year in sales in my own small business in my 20s. But nobody gave that to me. I had to earn it. I had to work for it. And that message and that voice is lost to a great degree in the black community. I think that in order for our women, our young girls to truly start to respect themselves more, they're going to have to hear those messages coming not just from, not even just from the church. And I don't know if you have an idea on how the government could help. Uh, I know that the opportunity zones that the president has uh, has put forward, that's going to help create jobs and create the opportunity for young black men, women, Hispanics, even in minority communities all around the country to be able to get work, to be able to do something outside of potentially gangbanging or selling drugs. But that's the message that's going to have to grab a hold of this generation in order to, I believe, truly see a shift and a change towards less fatherlessness in the home, less babies born out of wedlock, wedlock, and then the the, the decrease in all of the horrible statistics that come from being a single mother, being raised by a single mother.
1: Yeah, amen. I, I mean, look, school choice for black kids, those five words, every Republican needs to say yes, every single yes, day, yes. school choice. It, it is not perfect. People say, well, there's some schools that is, you know what, it's oh, it's so much better than what it is now. And everyone admits yes. that. I mean, charter schools, private schools, parochial schools. And then I, I, I think there's some very simple things we can do in our inner cities, allow police back in the communities. And if they need to be black police officers, then so be it. Um, yeah, I agree I, I, I'm not opposed to that. But Have have body cameras, have all these sorts of transparent things. But the idea that you are going to de-escalate situations, that you're going to have safer communities because police officers are not there is not true. Because you know what ends up happening is you have a hierarchy that ends up being built around criminality, is that the thugs will run the corners and the thugs will run the streets. The reason that police have allowed America to succeed, and we don't talk about this, is that the hierarchy is the constitution. It's not Mm. the cop is that the hi- the hierarchy ends up being the law. And guess what? It's the laws of nature and nature's God. So yes. the police officer, as imperfectly as a police officer could because it's a human being, when they are in those communities, you are literally saying that the constitution matters more than the gangbanger on the side of the street that might be preventing a black person from being able to live literally because they are gunning down innocent people on the side of the street. So I argue for more police, not less police. Number two, yes. in Chicago in particular, I'm from the suburbs of Chicago. I think that if we are gonna solve the black, you know, the the problems in the black community, we have to start to solve more of these murders. You'd be amazed that 80% of all gun deaths in Chicago go unsolved. But then if you actually listen to the street chatter, and you listen to actual people are saying on the streets, it's a handful of people that keep on committing the same murders over and over again. it's, Mm. It's a couple hundred people that know when to shoot and know what to do. And this is awful to talk about. But until we're serious about actually saying, hey, Let's get 80% of all these gun deaths to actually be solved and people to be held accountable around them. Number three, if I if I had to argue for one thing, it is a complete and total re, re, rebirth in the way we think around welfare in our country. And it is and it's not just a black problem, by the way. This is among all parts of the country where we should judge success by people getting off of government assistance yes. instead of people getting onto government assistance. And the fourth thing is this. I think that we should have really strict immigration in our country. I think that we should be having aggressive public service campaigns that go through black leaders and black pastors and say, okay, we are limiting guest worker visas. Can we get 600 black males to go work in this factory down the street? Let's really, let's invigorate, let's challenge because yes. let's, let's, the jobs are there. As long as we have stricter immigration, we can then get black America back to work. Once somebody has a job, David, that whole behavioral pattern about 15 people that they touch changes. Because all of a sudden they're like, no, I I'm not gonna go out tonight. I gotta I gotta be held accountable for something. And so when you're not in the workforce, when you're not producing, that intersection of responsibility and meaning disappears. It's right. nothing but like limitless freedom. And I'm all for freedom, but on individual capacity, if you think you can do whatever you want whenever you want to do it, well, you end up being miserable and you end up harming other people. And yeah. so I, I would argue I would argue significantly for that. And then finally, if I had to kind of just, you know, tie it all together. I, I think once and for all, you know, we as conservatives have to make the case that our worldview and our Christian philosophy, if you will, can help people individually, culturally, outside yes. of politics. Yes. And, and I, I, I'm really worried because this is starting to just – this is starting to transfer now into suburban America, which is like, oh, what's the point? The world is rigged against me. I don't want to do anything. I, whoa, what are you talking about? Yes, you're right. We have all these problems. The tech companies hate us. The media hates us. They're probably spying on you right now, or immigration policies are silly. They're creating $6 trillion out of thin air. They're declaring war on countries we shouldn't be with. All that's true. So what's preventing you from succeeding again? (laughs) Like none of that prevents you from applying yourself, from working harder, from being the best human being you can possibly be, from dropping your addictions, from praising Jesus. We have to communicate that. Be the optimistic, pro-human flourishing message because I think the greatest untapped resource in America is black America. And if there's anyone that should be worried about the amount of visas and people that are pouring into America, it should be black America. If there's anyone that has an argument to be like, hey, we kind of have been treated unfairly. Can we get a chance at these jobs? It's black America.
0: Absolutely. And now the Hispanic community is is reeling from it as well. What, what, you, what you suggested, those five or six points, is exactly what could have a practical impact on the black community uh, if we were able to partner and pair that with then a spiritual uprising and awakening. And it, is, it always starts with the individual. It starts with the person. It starts with you listening to this podcast right now. It starts with you and your own personal relationship. Maybe you don't believe in God. Maybe, you, maybe, maybe you've been hurt by somebody that's been in a church or that even was a pastor, or maybe it was a friend of yours. Maybe you've been belittled. Maybe somebody turns you off to God. You know what? You're listening to this right now for a reason. You're listening to two individuals, two men, a young man and an older man, but still two, two men. I still consider myself old, uh, young, excuse me. You're listening to two men that have had their lives impacted and changed radically by the love of God. We believe in him. We know that he's real. We we trust in him. We ask him for forgiveness. We understand that we're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. Nobody that's ever walked this earth has ever been perfect except for one, and his name is Jesus. And it's because of his sacrifice, his willingness to sacrifice himself. You know, I hate it when I hear this the it sounds like a catchphrase sometimes where people say Jesus died for your sins. No, he was tortured. He was mutilated and tortured in order to carry the cross and bear the weight of our sins so that we could then know the father. All we have to do is acknowledge his sacrifice and accept it. And I just feel like I need to do this for anybody listening right now. If you haven't ever accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and savior, what does that mean? That means you understand that you're, you've sinned, you've done wrong. And just like in the natural, in the practical realm, when you break a law, there's a consequence well in in the universe, in God's universe that he's created, there are spiritual laws, and when you break spiritual laws, there are spiritual consequences. sometimes we can see those consequences act out in the natural, with depression, with anxiety, with being tormented literally and, and by drug abuse. sometimes we can see those things, but the ultimate the ultimate weight of sin is death, and it's eternal separation from God. so the beautiful thing about who Jesus was and is is he's that sacrifice he laid his life down willingly so that we could accept what he did on our beh- for us on our behalf and then we could be reunited with a relationship with a pure loving god and so if you if you're listening to this right now Maybe you have prayed. Maybe you have asked Jesus to come into your life. I just really feel like right now, whether you have or haven't, or you need to be recommitted and reconnected, I just want to offer this to you right now. Just just pray this with me. Charlie, I hope this is okay. I just really feel God on this moment right now for individuals listening to this podcast. Just pray this prayer with me right now. Just say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you came and that you died for me, and I accept you right now come into my life, forgive me for all my sins. And whatever they are right now, you can just put those on your lips, whatever they are. You know what you've been battling with. You need to give them up. You need to release them. You need to give them over to God. Just put them on your mouth, ask him for forgiveness for those things right now. And now just say, Jesus, come into my life. Holy Spirit, come into my heart. Cleanse me of all my sins. Cleanse me of all my wrongs. Fill me up right now with your presence and help me live for you every day. Give me a hunger to know you and to know this love that David and that Charlie are talking about. I give myself to you right now, and then help me become the person that you created me to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I I just felt like I needed to do that, Charlie. There's people listening to this. That are feeling anxiety. There's tens of thousands of people out that that are feeling worry. That don't know what tomorrow holds. That may even be thinking and contemplating suicide because they just are so confused and so messed up with what's currently going on. And we know the answer. We know his name, and his name is Jesus. And he's the only reason why we're even here right now. Why we're alive right now. I know he's why I'm alive. I should have been dead almost ten years ago. I almost overdosed on crack cocaine. And it's only because of his love and his grace and his mercy that not only did I survive that, but now I'm here living and being who he's called me to be. So I just, uh, I'm just, i just glad that uh, I know you believe as I do. And I'm just believing for every person that prayed that, that they would have their own encounter with that love that changed me, that's changed you, and then drives us to become who we are. I think that Amen. we will be the change and will we'll, all of us, will be the change that's necessary for our country to truly begin to see great things uh, happen especially in the black community.
1: Amen. Well, thank you David and for people that are apprehensive or skeptical just surrender. If you've ever felt like you're not you don't have all the answers, well you're right. And if you've ever felt that you don't have it all figured out, that's okay too. And it will change your life. It will change who you are in the best possible way imaginable and yes, the, the gift is eternal life.
0: Well, that was impromptu. Charlie, where do we go from here? What do you believe all of us should do right now in the middle of this crisis and pandemic? What the heck happened to COVID? Nobody's worried about that now. Now, now it's all the writing. Where do you feel? What do you think that we all need to do at a practical level right now moving forward?
1: Well, I think, uh, first of all, they need to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Number two, yes. they <laughs> need to understand the facts and the data. They can check out charliekirk.com. We have a lot of the great studies around here, the CDC website, the FBI, the Michigan State, and the University College, uh, Maryland College Park study that all debunks the idea that America, the American police is systemically racist. It also shows the exact opposite, that police officers go above and beyond and try to de-escalate conflicts that actually more unarmed white people than black people died by police officers last year, uh, which is not what the media would tell you. And you don't see huge demonstrations uh, against the police that unarmed white individuals are being killed by police officers. So I just encourage people to pursue truth. Those of us that are Christians know that truth is paramount. And we know the ultimate truth. But there, there, there are other forms. There's other less important parts of truth, which is data and science and you know Newtonian physics. And you can't, just, you can't ignore all those things. And people are saying to me, well, Charlie, that's not my truth. Well, you, that really is, I, there's no such thing as your truth. There is yes. just truth. And you might have personal testimony and personal experience and I'm not discounting any of that. And, but if you, if what you believe to be true is my truth and then you apply it to a net in a, a macro narrative and say that must be true. Well then all of a sudden you are misapplying a singular incident to the entire society, which could cause serious damage. For example, if an Asian American started a movement right now and said, Asians are being gunned down by blacks in record numbers because maybe a friend of his who was an Asian American got gunned down by a police officer. They, they would, people would say, rightly, there's no data to support that. Right. Well, that's what's happening right now with Black Lives Matter. It's not happening at record rates. It just isn't. And so I encourage people to know the numbers and, and knowing the truth will set you free.
0: Yes, it will. I'm appreciative for you. We've got to know the facts. We've got to know why we believe what we believe. And we've got to be bearers of truth. And I love that it's not our truth or your truth or relative truth. There's absolute truth. God's word is absolutely true. His love is absolutely true. His presence is absolutely true and real. And uh, when we arm ourselves with the practical side of everything you're sharing, and then inside internally, we're carrying spiritually the weapons of warfare that come from walking in love and walking in relationship with our creator, I believe we truly cannot be stopped. We can't, we're unstoppable. Amen. So Charlie, anything else, man? This has been absolutely amazing, brother. i awesome. loved every
1: minute of it. God bless you and subscribe to your podcast. And they can email us at freedom at charliekirk.com and check out the Falkirk Center for Faith and Liberty.
0: Yes. And for me, check out my website, davidharrisjr.com. My book, make sure you get Charlie's book, The MAGA Doctrine. That's amazing. My book, Why I Couldn't Stay Silence, on my website at davidharrisjr.com. And my podcast, please subscribe, David J. Harris Jr. God bless you guys. See you later, David. Thank you, Charlie. Bless you, brother.
1: That was fun. See you later, man.
0: All right. Thanks. Bye-bye.